0: From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now a moment of silence before this episode begins. Made it. So this morning we're celebrating uh, All Saints Sunday. Uh, it's one of the high holy feast days of the church. Uh, the truth is, All Saints is celebrated on November 1st, uh, which would have been a few days ago. And um, it's this ancient tradition, uh, goes all the way back to the fourth century, where Christians would gather and they would honor and remember the legacy and the ongoing faithful witness of those who've come before us in the faith and who've died. Uh, It it was intended to be a a moment of celebration and remembering, but also inspirational that it would call us uh, to remember our own death and to live a life that's hopefully pointed towards the legacy we long for. And, um, and so, as you can imagine, if you've never heard this before, I want to connect a couple dots for you. This day called All Saints Day is also often referred to as All Hallows Day, the day we hallow or remember and revere those who've come before us on November 1st. And so All Hallows Eve, uh, I think you're tracking now, is October 31st, which we eventually call Halloween, and no surprise, we dress up as skeletons, right? Um, So even Halloween, I saw that there was this campaign to move Halloween to Saturday, uh, which I totally understand and appreciate, I love a good Halloween on Saturday. uh, But it just shows the degree to which the world doesn't get that Halloween is like, it's Christmas Eve to Christmas, it's All Hallows' Eve, right? That this is a a moment that has tied to October 31st for good reason. And so the church uh, has recognized that many of you, Uh, as faithful and devout as you are, you typically wouldn't show up to church on a Tuesday evening, at least not in this sort of number. Uh, But the feast is too important. And so for churches like ours and many around the country, we've been given the opportunity to do this today on Sunday. Uh, And so today we're going to celebrate All Saints Sunday together. We're doing so with a little bit extra music. We're going to be welcoming members in a few moments and listing off the names of those who we love, who died in the past year. Uh, but the lectionary has us on this day in a couple different places. And, uh, and I have chose for us to spend our time in a portion of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to be looking at an excerpt from chapter 1, uh, verses um, 11 through 23. And so if you would now uh, hear this word from the Lord. And this is what Paul writes. He said, In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, you too were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And this is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Listen, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you, in awe. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Praise Thanks be God. So I tried to do my very best in that reading, although I'm recognizing even now any larger print, it has come this day. Um, but here's my sense, is unless you're like some uh, auditory listener savant, uh, that if I did a quick reading comprehension of what we all just listened to together and said, tell me what that was about. What did Paul just say to us, right? Um, If you're like me, you'd be like, I don't know, sounded epic. Uh, I wouldn't even really know where to start. I, I read this excerpt probably a dozen times this week before I had any sense what he was trying to get at and what was taking place. It's not that it's not beautiful and rich and full of emotion. It is all those things, but there's just this sense of like, I can tell you're fired up, but I'm just trying to get with you. Like a a story, a metaphor, maybe a joke would help. Like we're just looking for something to help us track with you here. Uh, This is incredibly challenging piece of letter, right? All the more crazy to think that this was originally a letter that Paul wrote to a church that someone got up and read just like I did, only they read five, six straight chapters of this and people were like, amen, all right, I think I, we all know what we're supposed to do, you know? Um, the, the truth is in, in the Greek, uh, a lot of commentators argue that that whole thing I just read you is one long run-on sentence, which is sort of how it felt right it just he just starts words just start coming and he's got some momentum and he can't stop and and there's something he's trying to tell this church and he's overflowing uh, but there's just the challenge of of comprehension of his experience being imparted to us and so here's what i want us to focus on just for a second and i'll give you a little bit of framework you can go back and look at it yourself but essentially what we caught in the first three or four verses that I read is just the end of his greeting to this church. He's just saying, hey, friends, it's good to check in again. I love you. I think about you all the time. In fact, I find myself, whenever I'm praying, you come to mind. And whenever that happens, first thing I do is I thank God for you. I thank God for your witness, for who you are, for how you love one another, how it inspires me. There, there isn't a day really that goes by that I'm not reminded of what you're up to. And then he says, but I don't just thank God for you. I actually ask God for something on your behalf. He says, there's one prayer that I pray in your direction. There's one thing that more than anything else I want for you. He says, in the midst of your life that's full of struggle, in the midst of your life that's uh, filled with uncertainty, that's got a long history of trauma, The same thing that could be said about all of us as you walk through this life full of struggle and uncertainty, accumulating trauma as you go, there's just one thing that the Apostle Paul wants for these beloved children of God. There's just one prayer that he would pray. And and to me, that feels like worth us stopping and pausing for a second to do the work of hearing him. What is it that he wants most for us? What is it that the Apostle Paul wants most for the church? And this is what he says. I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you might know. It's a, I think part of why I grab onto that phrase is that it's one of the only metaphors he uses in the whole kind of text. It's also just strange. Like if you grew up in the church, like I did, especially evangelical church, and somebody says that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, the odds are you're like the cue deck is happening, right? There's this little chorus we'd sing, open the eyes of my heart. I've probably sang that song a hundred, if not a thousand times in my life. Some of you have never heard it. You check it out. There's probably 50 renditions on Spotify, but uh, open the eyes of my heart, open the eyes of my heart. It, it's the kind of thing that as a, as a child, a student, even as an adult, I could find myself joining in with kind of the poetry of that, not realizing that it comes right here from, from Paul, from his one prayer for the church. But it's also the thing that if you're fresh eyes on this thing, you go to open the eyes of my heart, that the, heart, the, the eyes of my heart would be enlightened. Like, what is he even talking about, right? Here, here's kind of my hot take on it. Here's what I think is at least what he's saying. He's saying to the church, when I think about you, there's, there's really just one thing that I want for you. And unfortunately, what I want for you, what I want you to know, you're not going to be able to know with your regular eyes. And what I want you to hear, you're not going to be able to hear with your regular ears. What I want you to consider isn't going to come to you with kind of your regular uh, kind of mental thoughts. that." as he reaches for this this awareness that he longs for for the church, he says, the best way I know how to say it is that I, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. That there's something that it seems impossible to know that I want you to know. There's this destiny, there's this ultimate reality, there's this deeper awareness about how the whole world works and I long for you to know it And the only way you'll know it is if the eyes of your heart are enlightened to it. Paul says there's something I want you to know, and there's no way to really know it except in your heart. There's a deep intuition. There's a deep awareness. There's this thing that I've come to know and believe that I don't even know how to pass on. It's why I'm so caught up in all this rhetoric, right? And if you consider that, I was thinking this morning, I was like, you you know, is this the kind of thing that we actually want? I mean, that sounds strange on one hand, like... There's things I want you to know that you couldn't possibly otherwise know. There's things you can't ever see with your eyes and hear with your ears that is most important for you to understand in this life. Something about the future, something about kind of what's ultimately true. Is that even a, a desire of ours? Is that something we long for, one? I actually think it is. I think in part, it's why you're here this morning, whether you know it or not while you got up and figured out the time and made the hassle through all the traffic and the rest to be in a place like this with some sense that there was at least the possibility that you might come to know some things in this place that you couldn't know otherwise. And even with all the church decline in attendance, uh, there's been a huge increase in people's interest in knowing something about the future, potentially, hopefully, that the future would be good, even in the midst of the current struggle and trauma, Right? Um, this is why, in, in my humble opinion, is part of why we see a rise in interest and curiosity and participation with like psychedelics, right? Is there's a sense of like what I most need in the middle of this world that seems to be completely falling apart is some sense of a bigger story or truth that there's something happening here. And when I hear the witness of those who participated in these like mind-altering drugs, this seems to be their testimony. And I need it so desperately I would join them even at the risk of my own health right? It's why um, things like astrology and even tarot cards are on the rise. I, r- I read that in the last uh, five years, the sale of tarot cards has doubled. Then on Kickstarter in the year 2020, there were $20 million funded towards tarot card projects. Uh, and the vast majority of it happened, wait for it, between April and May, Right? Like, we are desperate for some good news. We know that there's something we need to know that we can't know in any other way, and we're willing to go anywhere to know it. And the church has come to the conclusion that you're not going to find it here. And we'll go anywhere else to anybody else who's willing to talk about and say things like this. When I listen to some of my friends who are deep in that world and i listen to kind of the word salad that kind of fumbles out of their mouth. This is what they're searching for. They're speaking the language of Paul. There's something deeper than this reality that we need an anchor right here and right now. And Paul's conviction is that not psychedelics and not astrology signs and not tarot card readings, that that the thing you most need to know, you're going to have to have your eyes or your heart enlightened to. And that if you knew this, if you could see what he's been privileged to see, if you had a deep awareness of ultimate reality, that it would change everything, that this is the most important revelation that could happen in your life. This is what he wants you to know. He wants you to know the hope to which you've been called, the hope to which you've been called, the riches of your glorious inheritance among the saints. If you had just a sliver of an imagination or an insight into the riches of your inheritance among the glorious saints, Paul says it would change everything. If you could just see a bit of God's immeasurable greatness, the immensity of God's power, if you knew just a sliver of that, it would change everything. And so this is his prayer for the saints. I just want you to know the thing that seems impossible to know. I want God to open the eyes of your heart that you might know the hope, the riches, the power of God. Paul's not the only one who's pointed to this sort of thing throughout 2,000 years of church history. The saints again and again point to this aha, this spiritual awakening. And they tell us again and again and again that that if you would have eyes to see this somehow, that it would loosen your grip on this life, that every minute that you're trying desperately to control and fix and solve, that if you knew this thing, you'd loosen your grip. That the weight of the world that's on your shoulders right now that makes it almost impossible to get out of bed, if you could just somehow see just a sliver of the deepest truth of the story that you find yourselves in, that that weight, that that would be lifted, the load would come off. That ironically, if you could see a bit of this eternal picture, that paradoxically it would actually return the gift of this present moment to you. That right now would feel like less of a curse if somehow you could see the truth of what's here. But as one pastor I was listening to this week said, like keeping that sense of awareness is no small thing. Whether you're in a hospital or a hardware store, right? That this sort of grounding is it's the fight for our souls, for our lives, is to stay in tune with this. And so this morning, just a, a couple of things I wanted to kind of put before us as a church and kind of make sense of our time here together today is to answer the question, well, how do you cultivate that? How do you put yourself in the position to be aware of that? How do, you, how do you know this thing? How did Paul come to know this thing? How might we know this thing so that our lives might be shaped in that same sort of way? The first he models for us. He tells us this thing happens in prayer. Regardless of whatever else you believe about prayer, and want to argue about prayer and debate about prayer, what I can tell you about prayer and the witness of those who've prayed for generations before us is it's the arena where this thing is revealed. Where you come to see the smallness of your own life and that becomes a great gift and joy to you. Where, where you're reminded of the awe and the grandeur and the wonder of the God who's been in all places in all times writing a story that will far outlast us. And the second is that we, we cultivate this by coming to worship. That what we do together is an effort to tap into that, to be reminded of that, to experience that again. Um, and there's lots of different churches and we do it lots of different ways, but we leverage the senses we have, right? Our sight, our smell, sounds, right? So if you grew up in kind of an evangelical non church or whatever, even kind of a place like this on some Sunday mornings, um, you know, not to sort of pull the curtain back too much. And some people would argue that like, Haze and lights and all that kind of stuff is about celebrity, and I think it can be. But the most charitable read for me is, is the people of God doing everything they can to call a, a, a deeper sense of awareness. And so if we have to create a fake cloud in the room to remind us that there's more going on than we can see, then we'll press into it. If swelling songs that we can get lost in that start to feel like we're singing with angels and surrounded by them, then we'll do it, Right? And people who've come before us and others who worship different than us this morning are doing it through beautiful stained glass images and swinging incense as a reminder of the prayers of the saints being lifted up and singing the songs of those who've come before them. In fact, this morning, we have in our stage some of the best songwriters that I know. And we intentionally chose to not sing any of their songs, but to sing the songs of those who've come before us. A sense that maybe there's this little nostalgic thing that could happen that while we're singing this song, you would be transported to standing next to your grandmother in that old chapel down that country road singing the same song and remembering right? that you're a part of something so much bigger than what you just stepped out of when you stepped out of your car and the hustle of today. And if haze, which I'm not like a huge, I'm not trying to be a proponent of haze, but if it's a, if it's weird then buckle up. We used to be a lot weirder. In the early days of the church, for good reason, mostly because of hygiene, uh, the dead were buried outside of the city, right? And, uh, and there was this intuition among the saints that if we were going to enter the mystery together well, that we couldn't do it without them. And so they picked up their holy book and they picked up their communion wine, and they picked up their bread, and the church made its, uh, its way outside the city and held its worship in the middle of a graveyard. I mean, talk about weird, right? This, it almost starts to feel a little goth-ish if you didn't recognize the joy and the hope of these people. There was this sense in which, how could we possibly experience the fullness of who God is and the story that God's writing apart from my kind of ancestors. And so we're going to go set up shop with them and worship together this morning, even though I can't see them, right? There was a sense that those who'd come before us, that they were uh, invisible companions to us. One of kind of my heroes in the faith is is Bishop Oscar Romero. And um, he, he led this powerful movement for justice in the middle of civil war in El Salvador in the 70s and 80s. And, um, his, his church served the poor, and his church refused to uh, participate in what it saw as unjust practices in the world. And because of it, he became a very kind of marked man in that world and in that moment. In fact, his sermons, uh, people believe, were the number one broadcast program in the country at the time, more than any TV news station. That when he preached every week, millions of people tuned in. As he told them that there's a bigger story, there's better uh, things ahead of you than what you're seeing. Resist kind of what's taking place here. And as he did this, as he created this movement, week after week, people in his community would disappear. Uh, Many of them obviously being killed and kidnapped. In fact, he himself was famously killed while presiding at communion, assassinated in 1980. But he had this sense that they were a part of something bigger. That if you knew it, it would change how you showed up in this moment, even courageously. And so every week as he would come to the table and he would celebrate mass... And he would say, and so we join with the angels and the archangels and all those in the company of heaven. We praise your name, including Joe and Susie. And he begins to list the names of those who had died that week. And as he would list their names, the congregation would call back present, taking role among the people of God. That Those who've come before us have had a sense that the way you continue to cultivate this deep awareness and understanding of what God is actually up to in our lives and in all of history is that we don't distance ourselves from those who've died, but we draw near to them. G.K. Chesterton said, if you want to take role in the church, you want to know if somebody asks you what's the size of your church, you start by counting the tombstones, right? And so we're a community that does some weird stuff. If you were looking to touch into kind of the matrix of life, you want to experience the eternal here and now, you actually showed up to the right place. We believe as we gather and we worship together that this is our witness. In fact, eventually the church got tired of making the walk outside of the city to worship with the dead. And so they said, just bury them in our courtyard. Many of you have worshiped in those churches. Most of my early internships all had, you know, uh, graveyards in the back, Yard. We'd play football, run around, youth hangouts, right? Still happening right now. Brunswick stew, potluck parties just 20 minutes away from here are happening in churches whose backyard is filled with graveyards. And then some folks said, it's too cold outside. Just bury them in the church. You can go to Duke Chapel and walk in the basement and join there the tombs of those who've worshipped and lived in that time. And so as we've been processing this as a church in our own longing to be more in tune with the deepest truths of the moment we find ourselves in all of eternity, we felt like we needed a way to do this as well. And so one of the projects that I'm so excited about and also painfully disappointed in is that we've, um, we've decided to install a memorial wall here in our church. So this white plain wall, it's the only flat surface really in the room over there behind the cross. Uh, we had hoped to unveil this morning, but hashtag delays, whatever, Um, it's coming. In the next week or two, you will see an installation, and on it will be the names of those who have worshipped with us, who've been a part of our body, and in the last seven years have gone on to be with the Lord. And every time that we gather and we walk in here on a Sunday morning, we'll be reminded of their presence, not just back then, but here today and now. That every time you touch the water of that baptismal font or you watch that cross be... Um, processed back to its place. We'll be reminded that we're a part of something so much bigger, that we, like the church who've come before us, will refuse to be cut off from the witness of those who've come before us. All Saints Sunday is a reminder to us that that they are still a part of us. It's also a reminder that you are a part of them, that you are a part of them. You know what the most common term in Scripture is? is for those who follow Jesus. It's not disciple, contrary to what our evangelical brothers want you to believe. It's saint. You know the word disciple isn't ever used again after the uh, Gospels and the Book of Acts? That's what they call the people who are walking with Jesus in the days that Jesus walked the earth. But from there on out, the rest of the New Testament letters, it's saints, saints. Saints, And they're not talking about people who've died. When Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians, and great in uh, verse one, he says, so to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus." He says, "The most important thing about you isn't a decision you made. It's a, it's a decision that's been made about you. It's about who God has called you those who are still struggling, those who don't feel like they've got it all together, those, that our deepest identifier is that we are saints, that we are those who have been loved by God, chosen by God for an eternal inheritance. And every time that the Christians gathered to greet one another, they didn't say, hey, good decision maker, good to see you, good decision maker. They said, hey, saint, it's good to see you, saint. This, this is the kind of language that helped form the imagination that the people of God need to be who we're called to be. I hate to break it to you. You're going to be dead longer than you're alive. And what's most important about you is that you are a saint. And so my prayer for us today, Church on Morgan, is that, that you would have heart eyes, That you would have heart eyes to see the truth about who you are because of Christ. That you would have eyes to see the good, good future that is in store for all of us. And as you're awakened to this reality, that it would loosen your grip on this life, that it would lift the load from your shoulders, and that it would fill you with with this hope that Paul has, that we might be a sign of God's goodness in the world. May it be so, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.